My name is Sean Jordan. Welcome to the Adaptive Outdoorsman Podcast. Here we'll be discussing the history and legacy behind disabled hunters, trappers, anglers, and how they adapt and persevere in the woods, on the line, and on the water. Uh, today I'm joined with Brian Kyler of Be Adaptive Equipment, where they manufacture adaptive shooting and fishing equipment for all physical abilities. Now, Brian, when did uh, you guys start Be Adaptive? I, I started Be Adaptive in 2002. I'd actually met a gentleman in 2001, uh, became friends with him and built a gun mount for him, and then just decided that maybe some other people be interested in having that kind of a piece of equipment in their life. And so we uh, we started a business in 2002. Nice. Uh, who was the name of the uh, individual? Uh, his name's Eric Derrick. He was... Oh, he lived, I live in Columbia City, Indiana. He grew up in Cherubusco, Indiana, which is just about 12, 15 miles away. I never knew him. Um, and he had, he had broken his neck in a, in a dirt bike accident, I believe in 1998. So you started the business in 2002. And what was the startup cost for that? Uh, basically, it wasn't any startup cost, I guess, because it, I just started in a in a garage that I had here at my house, and like I said, I didn't really start out to uh, to start a business. I, I started out building the first piece of equipment, the the first model HQ one or HQ one hundred that I had built was a uh, you know kind of a prototype, I guess, but it wasn't really. Uh, we didn't build it to start a business. We just built it to fulfill a need that Eric had, and and it was just something fun to do with him. So yeah, there, there wasn't really an initial startup because we we didn't i didn't really by the time i by the time i started the business i had already built that one i had a little shop at my at my house and and i i come from a a couple generations of welders and fabricators my dad and my grandpa both were welders and fabricators and so i had stuff around that i'd i'd always been playing with yeah um did you make anything else for eric or was that just the only thing you did made for him well, I've made a few few different adaptations for him. I when I when I first met him, um, I did some work on his chair. I didn't I didn't know him at all. Um, I knew I knew of his his father in law at the time, yeah. and uh, I had fixed some stuff on his chair. They'd brought it to a place that I worked, and and I stayed after work and fixed a few things on his chair for him, and then uh, told him if he ever needed anything to contact me. He did a couple months later. And said his his daughter and his wife were going to be going back to school and to work, and that he was going to be home alone by himself, and he needed something to hold his mouth stick. He's a C three four complete quad, so he can't move his arms or hands at all. And so yeah. I went and talked, went went seen him, and and seen what he was using, and he was using a plastic cup that was taped fast to his chair to hold the mouth stick. So so I made a tray for him to hold his his phone his cordless phone for his home phone. And uh, he had an open sesame door, which would open up uh, one of the doors in his house. And so I, I mounted that remote on, on his chair on that removable tray. And it, it basically used the seat pan design that we use still today to hold all the equipment, the slides between the, the hard bottom of the chair and the removable cushion. And then it just has a yeah. tube that sits between his legs. So, we utilized that back then, so it was easy on and off. 
and just made him a mouse stick holder so that it uh, presents the mouse stick in the same place every time. And then after that, um, I made a, a a tray that would hold his keyboard up. He he types with a mouse stick, and so it holds the keyboard mm-hmm. up so you can see it a little bit better, and just little things like that. But I mean, they always seem like little things to me, but to him, they were they were kind of life changing. You know, they it made things that mm-hmm. he could he could do things on his own. He could be alone at home and be able to get in and out of the house. And, and most, most people in his condition are sun worshipers. They like to sit in the sun and soak up the sun and the, and the heat when he can. And so it, it just made a big difference in his life, being able to go in and out of the house and be independent by himself. So. Yeah. And you just, I know we were talking mm-hmm. earlier about how you saw the piece of equipment for the hunting in his uh, house. How did that get started? Sure. Just through the, through discussions, sitting around talking with him when we were working on making this tray set up for him, he kept telling me about that. He was an avid hunter before his accident and that he had the opportunity to go on a, a Corsica Ram hunt in Texas and Buckmasters uh, BADF program at that time was really big. And they, they took him to Texas for this run, this hunt. And they actually bought him a piece of equipment, and it was, it was the piece of equipment was made by the a gentleman at the time out west somewhere. And so I, I told him, so "Let's go. Let's look at this piece of equipment." So we went and looked at it, and you had to cut the gun off right behind the pistol grip. You drilled a hole in the stock. You drilled a hole in the trigger and the trigger guard, and he used a piece of fish line with a weight on it in front of the trigger. And then when they tried to drill drill the trigger on his actual rifle it was too hard and they broke the trigger off so it was wrapped wrapped up and and hot glued fast and so i i said well, we we got to be able to make something better than this for you it was good for one shot it used an electric trunk solenoid to, to fire the gun so so i always i always tell everybody it was just kind of like a science fair project it was it was something fun to to play with to to help him out and it was just something challenging to make and play with so we uh We'd work evenings and weekends. I'd pick him up after work or on the weekends, he'd come to the shop. I'd go pick him up and bring him to the house and we'd play around with that stuff. So it was just a lot of fun, really. Yeah. Yeah. I saw when I visited the other day, uh, the uh, latest incarnation of that setup. And I got to say the way you described what the early model version of back in the early 2000s what that was for versus what i've seen in the shop it was like night and day i mean one's high end the other one yeah yeah well the piece of equipment that i've built ever since the beginning was uh was a lot like what you've seen here in the shop we utilize the basically the same concept throughout the years we've just um changed how we did it the ones that i was explaining how they how they used trunk solenoid and stuff was a piece of equipment that Buckmasters had, re- had purchased for him originally. We had always used, um, my, my goal when we started out is that I wanted him to be able to go to a range or go out shooting with his buddies and be able to take anyone's gun and put in that and not have them have anybody be concerned about scratching it or marring it or, or, or not being safe. The, the gun mount yeah. that he had was, was specifically the gun was specifically altered to go into that gun mount. And that's something that we've strived over the years is to never 
modify um, guns or crossbows or anything to work in our equipment. We try to make our equipment so that it's very universal and works with everything that, that people try to throw at it. So that was, that was a big test when we built the first gun mount. I have a, a really good friend of mine who's a gun collector who's got some beautiful guns. And we went out over to his place to shoot and just play around. And he was kind of skeptical whether he wanted, wanted to put his guns in, in this piece of equipment until we started, he started looking at it and seeing that the whole, the whole butt stock is, is held in a padded vice and the front forearm is held, held in a, in a, a padded V bracket and it uses a Velcro cinching strap to hold it down. The HQ100 uses a trigger mechanism that's a, attached to the gun mount itself. So it doesn't attach to the trigger guard of the gun. So, so you can slide, you can rotate it up into the trigger guard just in front of the trigger. It doesn't make any contact with the trigger guard. So it's very easy to set up on the model HQ100. So like I was saying earlier is that we, we can go to a range or, you know, out with a bunch of friends and you can, you can literally throw any rifle, shotgun or crossbow in, in the model HQ100 and be shooting it in a matter of two minutes or so. That's good. Yeah, that'd be really weird to be have to uh, cut the stock of a gun just for it to fit. Sure, yeah. And I don't know that they necessarily wanted to do it. So one of the reasons that they wanted to do it, I guess, is because it shortens up the entire the entire gun mount as far as sticking out in front of you. So, I mean, we've done... Kind of the yep. same thing. We can take that model HQ100 and we can put our model HQ uh, PM in it, which is a pistol mount. I showed you that when you were in the shop the other day, and we can shoot. Um, yep. We can shoot anything with a pistol grip on. So you can put like a 12 gauge shotgun in that pistol grip or in that pistol mount, and and shorten up the entire yep. package. Um, some crossbows. There used to be a crossbow that was basically made off of an AR15. Um, you know, anything like that. We can we could shorten the package up and that's probably the yeah. reason that they've done that. And also just kind of lack of lack of ability. They just didn't have the experience in fabricating and stuff to make, make some of the stuff, I guess that we made over the years, but, but they were, they were able to get, yeah, they were, they were just able to get Eric, trying to fill in the, game. yeah, they were able to get Eric back out and, uh, you know, doing what he wanted to do. And, and lots of other people, we, we've been doing this for 20 years and, and I always I joke with everybody. I told you the other day that that the little town of like ten thousand people that we live in, very few people even know that we're here. And you know our kind of secret claim yeah. to fame is that we're probably the largest adaptive shooting equipment manufacturer in the world. And only reason being is that we we started twenty years ago and we just didn't give up. It's it's more of a, a business of yeah. passion than it is of money. Luckily we have a fab shop here that we, we fabricate other pieces of equipment. So it's not a soul. We're not solely surviving off of the handicap equipment. So, um, I have two, two young boys that are 18 and 23 that are taking over, you know, operations in the, in the shop and trying to teach them how to run everything. And, and they're, they're helping to design equipment and do stuff now too. And they're dealing with customers and, and everything. So they're passionate about it. So, Hopefully it's going to go on for their, for their entire lifetimes or until somebody's lucky enough to come up with a cure for any spinal cord injuries or anything like that. We'd, we'd love for that to put us out of business. <laughs> yeah. We were talking about this the other day about how, um, 
you guys know a lot of the people, well, a lot of people that I know go through you for their equipment. It was just amazing to be thinking about it and seeing that, like you said, it's so close to my home that I didn't even realize it, but it's something that has got a lot of reach all over. Sure, the world. we have stuff in. And like I told you yesterday, when we when you're at the shop, we have equipment in, in every state in the U.S. except for Hawaii. We have stuff in Canada, New Zealand, Australia, Iceland, Brazil, Germany. Um, it's it's pretty unreal that you know with the with the internet, we could we can be an international business. In little tiny, yeah. little tiny Columbia City, Indiana. Nobody really knows we're even tucked out here, and we're out in the country too. We run this out of the shop in the country at our house, so. Um, all together with with the other business that we run here, we have like twelve people here every day. So um, it helps to be able to share employees across the that spectrum and be able to because we, we do everything in house. We we machine everything in here. We TIG weld everything together for the handicap stuff. We powder coat everything in house. So um, we try to cover all of it. So it just makes it a lot easier when we do specialized things or we have to do uh, changes to a piece of equipment for somebody's seating configuration or some you know every once in a while we'll get something odd where you'll have someone who's in a chair that um they may may not have hand hand or arm function but they may have use of one foot and so we've built joysticks to put on the on the footboard on the wheelchair because they can for some reason they could use one foot and nothing else so they controlled the joystick with uh, with their foot, and so doing everything in house. We're you know, we're actually fabricating yeah. everything here, so we can we can make changes to anything that we're making. Overall, we build about eighteen standard products for for hunting and fishing. Um, we build the high quad that we've been talking about, which is for complete quads, uh, chin operated joystick or hand operated joystick, uh, sip and puff fire. And we build a, an LM100, which is a limited mobility mount, which is a weight compensation. So it just takes the entire weight of the the long gun or the pistol that you put into it, um, makes it weightless so you can move it left to right. We make trigger mechanism, power trigger mechanisms, light triggers, hand devices, some some simple fishing equipment. Now, uh, other than the uh, products that you offer on your website and what's i know you were talking about how you do some customs uh what's the grand total of customs that you get uh, on average well, we don't have a, we don't do a lot of customs we we tweak some of our normal products from time to time but um and when i'm saying tweak we we've taken like our high high quad gun mount that we've been, we've been talking about the HQ100 we've mounted that out over the yeah. hood of a side by side Used one of our scope camera systems, put that on it, remoted the 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 controls for the chin operated joystick into the cab, and remoted the uh, the seven inch monitor for the camera into the cab. So the individual is actually sitting in the side by side that has a essentially a gun turret over the hood, looking through the scope and being able to move the gun mount left, right, up, down, and fire from from you know four foot away from it. So. Those those are the kinds of things okay. that we typically do that would be considered, you know, custom stuff is is taking products that we already have and and doing some some changes to them to make them fit somebody's use. Yeah, 
And I know we were talking about the other day, but what are the uh, average costs for the equipment you guys uh, the, the HQ100 is kind of the whole, you know, the most expensive top of the line piece of equipment that we build because it does have motors that move it left and right, up and down. And it has a, an actuator on it that yeah. fires the gun, all that stuff. That, that thing runs around 2300 bucks, And, I mean, yeah. I'm not exactly – I don't pay attention to the prices all the time. I'm not the one that deals with that. My wife and my sister-in-law are the ones in the shop. If people call, they usually talk to those two um, unless they're having a problem. Then they want to talk to me. But other than that, I mean, but that, that gun mount is complete when you do get it. It has a seat pan. It has – a wiring harness you can hook to any 12 volt power source um and one of the things like i'd said we that we didn't haven't done a whole lot of changes to the gun mount over the years the the main things that we've done to it has made it easier to service and easier if you have issues with it so all of the controls we we do all of the controls in-house we we wire all the potentiometers and the uh, diodes and everything that, that and we build the joystick actually and everything. So all of that stuff is, is separate from the gun mount. So you can have three plugins. You unplug those. The control box that has the potentiometers and all the rest of the wiring in it is Velcroed fast to the gun mount. You take two bolts out and you can send me the entire controls package. If there's an issue, typically with a gun mount, it's going to be, you know, some sort of an electrical failure or a cut wire or something like that. You can send that back to me in a box. Yeah. And we can turn it around and ship it back out the next day or two. And, and it just makes it a lot cheaper than trying to send that piece of equipment back and forth. Yeah. I noticed that you guys have uh, the uh, visually impaired uh, category in your on your website. How many of those have you sold oh, so lots far? Lots. The uh, scope camera Yeah, hundreds system. probably over the years. We, we build that scope camera system. Yeah. It slides over the the viewing end of the scope, it comes with uh, like five different bushings that, that basically just make up the difference between the outside of the, of your scope and the inside of this tube, the tube slides over, um, has some yeah. brackets that go around the body of the scope that hold it up to help make it, you know, a little stiffer and stay on the, on the scope itself. And then we use that, in conjunction with the HQ100, because you're sitting behind the gun mount, you're sitting directly behind the butt of the gun stock. So it creates about an 18 yep. inch eye relief. So it, it works really well with, mm -hmm. with the HQ100. We've, we've been very successful over the years using it with visually impaired individuals. We've had a lot of guys that um, will hunt with a buddy. They'll actually hold the gun, you know, on a, on a, a foam block or something so that they're steady. And somebody would be behind them yeah. and just tap them on the shoulder, you know, left, right, up, down, and because they can see what they would be seeing through the scope. So, yeah, I know a couple of blind guys. One of them, uh, he's legally blind. He's got a certain style uh, blindness in his eyes. It's called starlight. I forget the term right now. But he, I, I know that he's got one on his scope. He's uh, Scott Evans of uh, Hunters for Life out of Michigan. Yeah, and then I know another guy. Uh, uh, he's got his own nonprofit too. These are nonprofit organizations. No excuse hunting. Dan Ferrero. 
and the, he is he's legally legally blind and he was able to acquire the system and i think he actually bought it off of Probably. you guys like i said i'm i'm terrible with the names because yeah. i don't when they come through the shop i would i i'm i've got very little contact with the name typically my wife and my wife renee and my sister-in-law tiffany are the ones who usually get they, they do they the, know names. the names typically i have to holler at them and say hey does this name sound familiar to you oh yeah We've dealt with them for years. I said, okay. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, that uh, reminds me of what it's like in a, sh- a machine shop, being a cosmetic grinder. I got a guy that, you know, talks is out his butt half the time. We all know those types of guys. He's all telling me where this goes, what this does. And I'm like, I don't care. I My job is to make it look pretty and then send it on its way so yeah i understand the uh manufacturing part of that too much we were in there and i was like half tempted like hey uh you got anything for me to clean i can make it look pretty we do a lot of grinding in here you've seen yeah well at least you know if you need an extra hand i'm close by (laughs) i said tell me how what you want it to look like i'll make it look pretty we have to make all of our, now, like I said, you, the other, I showed you the other business while you're here the other day is, is vibratory feeder bowls with parts orientation devices for, for special machines, assembly machines. You dump parts into them and they vibrate and the parts all move up the track. Yeah. I always tell everybody you can, you know, things you see on how it's made, stuff like that. When you're seeing machines running and parts are feeding into a, into an assembly machine or something. Um, that's the other business that's, I've done that for 30 years. Um, I just I came home full time in 2005 to build the handicap equipment and ended up in the feeder bowl business because I knew enough people that wanted stuff and as I always explain to everybody we like to eat so we uh we built feeder bowls. So yeah right. The, How many of the feeder bowl systems do you go oh, through a year? Luckily we we're uh, <laughs> we're in a very good position with some other automation shops that are close to us and and we get to help fill their stuff we we have more feeder bowl builders than anybody else around us so they have about four or five automation shops that that we help build bowls for all their equipment so we're very very blessed in the fact that we we're where we are where we are so yeah i noticed that you had that lovely classic car in your uh yeah shop that thing run yet yeah yeah it's that's my dad Oh, it yeah, runs. It's a yeah, thirty-one Model A. And oh. It's over here to come over here for the for the winter, so my son Jacob could put some uh, motor mounts in it because it's it's rattly and it was driving him nuts. So, yeah, it was up on uh, the lift, and that is a nice lift, by the way. And I'm talking tell my viewers, uh, listeners. I know I'm tired enough that I have to call my listeners viewers now. But uh, yeah, when we were over there at a shop. And he had this lovely lift and Model A, about what twenty feet in the air? No, it's probably up there, ten feet. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. Now, um, look, we didn't talk about. Uh, so I'm going through my head right now. <laughs> so, about your uh, the fishing equipment that you yes. deal with, is everything based off of uh, the exact same setup? for the fishing equipment or is that uh, yeah for the most part we 
Um, we utilize the seat pan, what we call a seat pan for most everything, because it's been the most universal way to, to put on any chair. We do have special, uh, special mounts for different stuff like, uh, um, Oh, there's a, an extreme X eight chair. We have to make a special bracket for that. Mm-hmm. Um, some of the, the, uh, um, track chairs, um, take special ones typically the ones that take special plates are it's it's more about the seating configuration than it is about the wheelchair itself like the the track chairs a lot of those mm-hmm. end up with basically car bucket seats on them and they're not a handicap seat so in that case they have to we make a, a bracket that goes underneath the seat and they have to take the bottom portion of the cushion off typically and mount it between the frame and the seat bottom the most all normal yeah. wheelchair configuration seating configurations have a removable cushion, either a J cushion or a Rojo cushion or a, a specialized cushion for so that they don't so the individuals don't get pressure sores from sitting on them all day. So those are those are what we yeah. deal with most of the time. So typically, it's just lift the cushion up, slide this steel seat pan in. Cushion goes back on top of it. It's got uh, holes in it, laser cut holes in the plate so that it can be bolted into place. Or um, typically, mm-hmm. most people use just large, like two inch wide Velcro with mating surfaces on both sides so that it, it doesn't slide around underneath their cushion. Yeah. I was noticing about your archery and seeing the uh, compound bone mount. How does that actually? operate is that similar to or is that completely it, it uses different? it utilizes the same seat pan of course um what it, yeah. what it does is it uses the stabilizer hole the, there's a 5 24 tapped hole in the front of all crossbows that where the stabilizer can screws into and we utilize that because it's uh it's common for most all compound bows um, we use that as the main attachment, yeah. attachment point. So we thread into there and then it's got a little miniature vice that squeezes the handle from side to side to stabilize it. And then we have a adjusting screw that can yeah. level the, the bow from left to right. If you're not sitting on a very uh, flat spot that you're shooting from, but those actually utilize another product that we do not make. It's called a draw lock. Um, so what it does is that you draw mm-hmm. the bow. You have to have someone draw the bow. It holds the bow at, at full draw, and then you have to use a release. It's it's held by the release on the string, and then you you bump the release to to let it go. So essentially, you're you're taking a compound bow and turning it into a crossbow because you have somebody draws it for them, and then allows them to be able to aim it, and mm-hmm. then use the the draw lock system to release it. It'd be interesting to come up with a uh, release style system that is similar to the gun style with a Sifman puff, but it releases a mechanical release that actually draws the bow back for them. Yeah, too. The, the only problem with that is that you have different draw lengths and all kinds of things. There's lots of, when you start getting into some of that stuff, it's sometimes it just becomes more cumbersome and, and harder to, to deal with and what it's worth. If they're going to go through, go through all that, you might as well use a crossbow with the, you know, the modernization of the crossbow over the years. It, you can use those in an yeah. HT 100. Um, you know, if you're dead set against using a crossbow, you're going to have to use a, a compound with a, 
with the draw lock system on them. Um, it, it just that's the same thing with the yeah. fishing. We do we do some fishing stuff, but the the throwing of the lure and the actual casting is extremely difficult. Mm-hmm. It's a lot lot harder than what you think. It's a lot harder than putting a, a, a shotgun or a crossbow or a rifle or a pistol into a mount and actually pulling the trigger or actuating that that system like that. Much, much yeah. di- more difficult to try to get something to cast. We've worked with it over the years and, and thought we've had things, but the, the problem we run into is if we commercially offer something, like that people expect it to work and it's very very yeah. difficult to get a, get a fishing setup that that works each and every time you do it there's been a lot of uh, pieces of equipment produced over the years but they the people just never seem to stick with it and it's, i think it's because they can't they can't really make it work every time and they get tired of of fielding the phone calls of people that are us upset with them because they can't make it work all the time so uh, we've, we do some fishing yeah. stuff, but it's not casting stuff. It's it's stuff that if you can if you can cast it and then set it into this piece of equipment that we make, then you can manipulate it left and right. You can pull it back to set the hook. We make a a hand device that goes on that helps to crank the the reel, um, some of that kind of stuff. But as far as just full on casting, we've not we've not done that just because we don't feel that we can produce a a product that makes people happy with it. So. Yep. The only other way I'd say to be able to cast would basically be a sh- use a shore launcher like they do to get the bait for, you know, like su- surf fishing is what it is. Excuse sure. me. Yeah. Getting that bait just, all the way out there using yeah, a launcher. Yeah, shoot the, the lure out there and, and reel it in. That's a piece of cake. Uh, we could do that, but it's a little, a little more involved. Right. <laughs> Yeah. Well, even that's still involved. I mean, you got to load it, have somebody load it up for you, get the tank See. ready. Okay. You ready to launch? Yeah. Sip and puff to yep. launch and then start reeling in. Of course, I'm thinking when I talk about the fishing, I'm talking, I'm thinking deep sea fishing for some reason. Exactly. Yeah. Instead of, <laughs> yeah, I'm thinking mar- somebody's going deep sea red fish marlin something like yeah we're gonna go do something <laughs> although that'd be scary scary bad doing marlin fishing absolutely i was talking to a great trainer of uh accessible hunter a while back and he was talking about how he went to, i think it was red, redfish fishing out in the caribbean and he said he was he had one of those adaptive equipment pieces where he was reeling it in with, it was attached to his wrist and whatnot. And he said, after he got it in, he was dog tired. I'm sure. Yeah. Did you guys ever think about, uh, automated reeling reels, but as, or is that still the one of those, it would probably be more head headache than a hassle well, headache we, than we actually helpful. sell some a couple of products like that that some other people make sometimes it's not worth reinventing the wheel there are a couple of companies out there that make yeah. power reels and we actually sell those uh every once in a while with a piece of equipment so, so they, they are they are available yeah. um and we can we can get them but 
there are other other people out there that sell them also, but we do not manufacture those. But yeah, they're definitely readily available for for people to to be able to do that. My my oldest son Jake was just working with an individual the other day up in Canada. Uh, wants to do some ice fishing, and so he made a hand of ice for him to uh, be able to hold an ice fishing pole, so it's attached to his hand. Yeah. So that's probably something we'll we'll probably end up putting that up on the website too, and see if there's any other interest in it. That's always been a thing too, is that we yeah. uh, over the years we've we've had people we've had like the the local economic development corporation was was coming out and and looking at some of our stuff and just trying to help us with some of the business stuff over the years. And they asked us, you know, well, what, what products can you just stop making that you don't make enough of that it's profitable every year? And we always tell them none, because if we make one a year, if somebody wanted that piece of equipment, that's the most important piece of equipment to that person. So, so basically, typically if we ever made one, we usually will make more of them from anybody. So, that's how we develop products over the years. Yeah. Well, that's nice. For have you ever dealt with anybody physically disabled without uh, the wheelchair at all? So very, like, very uh, few. Every once in a while, we'll do something for a walking individual. Um, we've we've done a, a one arm shooting device before. Um, that works. It's kind of a wearable mm-hmm. belt, and it's a prop that that goes from their waist up to the gun, and they can they can deploy it to hold the gun, or they can pull it down, and it'll hang by a one uh, one point harness around their neck. So yeah. there are things like that we do. We don't do as we don't do as much of that, of course, as we do just normal wheelchair bound individuals. Yeah. Yep, so nothing important for me with my feet. No, unfortunately. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's what I get with uh, walking sticks and all that other fun sure. stuff. <laughs> Although I did see uh, a friend of mine, he has uh, he's a double amputee and he was going up uh, going down a mountain he hiked and his uh, prosthetic broke off and he had t- uh, go down before it started raining and he had to come get something and he had his uh, repair kit was in his pack back in ca- base camp and I got to be thinking it's like would there be able to way to make a mount uh, be able to have a temporary mount made out of a walking <laughs> stick I'm sure if there's a will there's a way we got a little duct tape I'm, duct tape I'm sure somebody would make it happen <laughs> yeah that'd be kind of cool to see it like the walking stick actually break down and be able to attach to the prosthetic uh, attachment, the sheath and serve as a temp temporary walking stick or crutch or whatnot. But yeah, they yeah, had duct tape probably work. <laughs> well, uh, is there an, no, you start sorry. working with, uh, you with a uh, physical therapist and, and occupational therapists and stuff. And you can see all kinds of crazy stuff that they've, they've helped people, you know, put together over the years to, to help them do what they want to do. That's what it's all about. I guess it's not, it's not about how, how cool it is and how, how clean it's made. Sometimes it's yeah. just about whether it functions or not. So. Yeah. 
because he can look at all the types of pretty in the world, but if it ain't going to do his job, it's not going to be worth it. Absolutely. No. So I get to ask the uh, one question I always ask my guests. And where do you see be adaptive equipment in five years? Well, in five years, hopefully we're basically doing the same thing we're doing now. We Hopefully we've serviced a, a lot more people in, throughout the world and met a lot of cool people. Um, in five more, five more mm-hmm. years, hopefully my boys will be the ones that everybody talks to when they call in and they can, they can keep, keep their passion going to be able to do this for the rest of their lives. They're, they're really young and, you know, they're 18 and 23, but they've grown up in a fab shop their entire life. So they know the ins and outs of all of it. And, and, you know, I I always tell everybody that basically we're, we're problem solvers is all we are. When somebody comes to us and says, how, you know, how can I do this? Oh, well, that just ignites the, the science fair project kid inside of you. This is, Oh, we got to be able to make something. We've just done it enough over the years that we've got all kinds of little tricks that we've done for all the other pieces of equipment that if somebody comes in and, and wants something fixed, you know, on a chair, they need something. We can pull all kinds of weird little things out that we've made over the years and start slapping stuff together and make something usually pretty cool if they're actually here. So hopefully, hopefully over yeah. the years that will just keep, they'll keep expanding the business and, and, we just have to keep them passionate about it so that they can keep taking care of people for their lifetime. Yeah. Now seeing the, that impressive shop and telling you said where you went from and where you've been uh, in the garage, where do you, do you see your uh, shop getting any bigger? Oh, probably not a lot bigger. Um, we, we pretty much have everything yeah. here that we need to be able to manufacture the stuff that we do. Um, so. I don't. I don't foresee it growing a whole lot more. Just maybe getting some more fun toys. But I, I, I'm lucky. <laughs> I'm lucky in the fact that yeah. the things that I enjoy doing are also the things that we do to make a living. So we we have a CNC plasma yeah. and you know shears and brakes and circle shears and a little bit of everything that you can imagine. So those are all the fun things in life. So. Like if we're we're talking about having a snowstorm yeah. here in a couple of days, and it, it won't bother me to be snowed in because we'll just go to shop and play. So we just go out here and build all kinds of stuff. So. Yeah, no kidding. So with that, do you? I was I know we were talking about a while back, but with your international shipping, how much has has that increased? over the years sort of thing how much of that has yeah it's definitely increased it's not something that that it's it's really hard to market this kind of stuff because it's such a little niche market so so really you know just trying to take care of customers and and the handicapped community you know they all have friends online and stuff from coast to coast and all across the world so it's it's very hard for me personally to try to advertise things but if you build a piece of equipment for somebody in New York state and they have somebody in that they know in Washington state because they've just met them online or something, then you're covering from one coast to the other just because of, of their, their relationships. So. Yeah. Well, if you ever want to sponsor a podcast, I get plenty of reach all over the U S and a couple of other countries too. Yeah. It's, it's like the same thing. Right. I mean, you're doing podcasts. You have people all over the world listening. It's it's really neat that that the internet has been able to, to 
give people like us the the resources to be able to reach out to people. Oh yeah, I've had listeners in Australia, Canada, France, Italy, I think India, yeah. and a couple of places in South America yeah. too. So, awesome. so the Adaptive Outdoorsman podcast is literally worldwide, apparently. <laughs> So, is there any? Where's the best way to reach Be Adaptive? Uh, the website, probably. It's, it's beadaptive.com. It's B E. Yeah. It's like the two words, beadaptive.com. And then there's there's contact numbers on there. Like I said, if you we're a small small family owned business, so if you call, you're going to talk to my my wife Renee or my sister in law Tiffany or or one of one of my boys Jacob or Hunter. So or my myself. Yep. Yeah, just be prepared. They have three businesses when you call, so it's just going to yeah, be one of those. We have different lines for everything. We so we we typically answer it the right way, but every once in a while we'll th- we'll throw yeah. one in there. But you know, it's uh, be adaptive equipment and adaptive feeders and automated slo- solutions. So most people they just hear the adaptive and they don't really hear the rest of it anyway. So it doesn't throw them too much. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, they're, they're like be adaptive, yes. yay! So, yep. So, do you guys uh, go through Facebook or Instagram uh, yeah, or any of that? Boys, that's that's the other thing that the boys have done. I'm I'm a little more old school. I, I pound on metal and weld things together, and the boys have been more more successful at running the the Facebook stuff, the and just dealing with people on Instagram and that kind of stuff. But if you if you get to the website, there's links to everything yeah. on there. Yeah. Well, hopefully they get to turn it into the next duck dynasty and you guys get to be on <laughs> I don't A&E know about then. that. There's, we do have a, we do yeah, have right. a little about 10 minute video that's linked to the website from a, a it's called a good co show. They actually came and done a, a about a, a 10 minute production of, of the business. Oh, back in 2013 or 14 or so just explain what we did. They were, they were just doing, uh, yeah going around and doing doing stuff with interesting businesses in the US basically. So it's pretty neat. Get a chance they can take yep. a look at that. Oh yeah. Um, my one other last question one of the last few questions before we close it out is um, do you go hunting yourself? I'm not you and your really boys? a hunter. I I like guns. I've always played with guns and I'm not I'm not that I'm not a hunter. I just don't I just never really got into it a whole lot. And I always explain that. I always have to field that question yeah. with people, and people people are always asking me, you know, hey, how was your hunting season? Well, if I was a hunter, I'd be upset because I'm pretty busy during hunting season. So it's probably better than best that I'm not. Yeah. I've done more hunting. Basically, I've I've went with a lot of of customers over the years. We've gotten the opportunity to go to to different uh, organizations having disabled hunts and and taking equipment there and provided equipment. And, and just help with some of that kind of stuff over the years. That's been that's been a lot of fun. Um, my oldest son Jacob is a is an avid hunter. He uh, he really wants to go start doing yeah. some more um, disabled hunting like that and doing doing some helping with some guiding and some of that kind of stuff. Um, my other hunter, my my youngest son Hunter, he's he's not much of a hunter. He's like me, he likes likes guns. We we do a little shooting around the around the shop here. Um, that's one of the advantages of if, if people 
come to the shop every once in a while. Somebody will want to come to the shop and, and try out a piece of equipment when we're out in the country so we can go out and actually shoot right here at the shop. So we have a, a little shooting range set up. So. Nice. Yep. And I think my son is really interested because I remember you offered him a ride this summer or whatnot. I think he'll oh, take yeah. you up on that. Yeah, we, a little... we got some off-road off oh, yeah. buggies. That's our that's our other passion, playing with that kind of stuff. So we we do some off-roading and and we're building a, a buggy in the shop right now. So believe it or not, I've never been yeah. in a buggy oh, before. I'll take you. It's a lot of fun. Sounds like we've become new best friends. <laughs> well, uh, thank you, Brian, for coming on and telling us about your business, your product, and how we've, you've helped people over the years. And I hope you guys stay strong and continue to grow your customer base and just have fun doing it. And we can get around sometime in the near future and go race yeah. buggies. Yeah, thanks for thanks for contacting me and coming up, and taking a look at the shop, and we like to we like to yak and hang out oh. with people and stuff. But yeah, it's it's the the whole handicap thing over the years has been more about relationships and and meeting people and and getting cool pictures back of the stuff that yeah. they're doing than anything else. So. Yeah, well, thank you for coming on again and being a guest. And remember, everyone, be adaptive. <laughs> <laughs>